0: Hey, everybody, I'm Jeremy. And I'm Jess. And we are two internet friends exploring the intersection of independent, business, and rails. Welcome to Rails.
1: Today, Jeremy and I are going at it alone. No special guests, but we have some special content for you. You may have seen on Twitter just recently that Jeremy and I both decided to take a course together called Small Bets by Daniel Basalo. And we wanted to share what we learned today. So that's what the episode is going to be about. Oh, and also we are just getting home and getting settled back into the coziness of our offices after attending (laughs) RailsConf. Right, Jeremy? Man, I wish it was cozy. I'm feeling
0: kind of cold this morning. It rained here like crazy yesterday. so. I'm trying to get cozy with my second cup of coffee here and my feet are kind (laughs) of (laughs) cold.
1: Yeah, I'm just glad that rain held off for RailsConf. Being from Atlanta, of course, I for some reason felt proud that we were having some good weather for everyone and everyone was raving about the nice weather and it, it did work out well. We got to go outside and be able to explore downtown restaurants, things like that. So that was nice not to be extremely cold or wet. Yeah. Did you have Um, any big highlights from RailsConf? So it was my first RailsConf. So Mm. actually, I mean, there's probably a lot in there. haven't really unpacked it all yet, but I think some of it probably ties into what we're going to talk about today. And that's the randomness of things and just putting yourself out there and meeting people and... Exploring the serendipity of relationships and Mm. things like that. So, I guess that was my big takeaway is that time and time again, I do this and I don't know why I'm surprised, but you go to something like this, you meet new, interesting people and don't usually see it right at the beginning, but like Mm. in hindsight, maybe months or years later, you're like, wow, I met this person. Now we have this friendship or this business relationship or whatever. And it all came from me going to that RailsConf.
0: Yeah. I can so agree with that. For many years, I would see RailsConf or other kind of big Ruby and Rails conferences and would talk myself out of going because of the cost thinking like, oh, it's really expensive and I don't have to do that. It's not a requirement. If I want to go, I'm going to have to pay it myself. I don't have an employer to pay that for me. And I couldn't see like, what's the cost benefit? How do I know that it's going to be worth it? And so finally last year, kind of going all out in a bunch of different conferences, I feel confident that it's paid off, but it's in many different ways. There's like not one thing. It's not like, oh, I need to go and find a project that recoups the cost of going to the conference and that's when it's worth it. No, it was actually things like I made a bunch of new friends and I got re-inspired about my work in a way that is helping give me energy for the future. I got a broader perspective about what I'm doing in the world professionally and as well as occasionally people reaching out and saying, hey, do you have any availability for a new project? Or people coming to me and asking for advice or reaching out with other opportunities, like that stuff starts to come in. I don't need to calculate all of that anymore to try to say, was it worth it? I just come to believe that it is. And that feels really good.
1: Right. Those rewards will come in at different random times probably when you least expect it. And so, yeah, it's almost impossible to calculate some benefit. I don't know if you've been in companies like where they're trying to figure
0: out attribution for marketing. It just like kills them when they can't attribute like which ad, which campaign brought this customer in and almost get bent out of shape about campaign attribution. And maybe part of it is that I'm not saying don't be diligent about trying to figure things out, but at the same time, you're not going to know how everything comes to you and trying to get down to that level of granularity may not be a good idea. It may just be good to say, I'm going to expose myself to opportunities and I'm going to invest in that randomness, knowing that it's going to pay off somehow.
1: Yeah, that's perfect. I like that idea of randomness. And speaking of which, I think probably got mostly turned on to it from this small bets course. And we'll dig into that now. Yeah. So it's interesting.
0: Last year, after working on a side project that I launched to crickets, I got really frustrated and realized that I needed to change my strategy and get better at marketing and talking to people in the community. And I realized I wanted to get better at Twitter, which is not necessarily the most popular thing right this second, but I think it's still valuable, like learning how to connect to people online and talk about the things that are interesting to you. I was never good at that. I was like building things and not, I don't know, I hate calling it marketing, but the sort of self-promotion marketing piece. And Daniel came up somehow. I can't remember how he appeared on my radar, but he had this course on building a Twitter audience. And I originally probably would have not liked that concept. It feels, I don't know, like you got to be egotistical to want to build a Twitter audience or something like that, like really full of yourself to like to think that you should have thousands of followers or something. But my opinion changed last year when I realized I'm trying to build things. I'm trying to do good in the world. I'm trying to take care of my family and I'm trying to be creative. And all of that means needing to connect to other people and wanting to connect to other people. And you can't just start with that end product of here's my thing. And you need to connect to people ahead of time. They need to know who you are and they have to have reasons to connect to you along the way. Yeah, attention and credibility, right? To exactly. we'll actually
1: get to that. Yeah.
0: yeah, so I hadn't figured that out. So I actually bought his Everyone Can Build a Twitter Audience course early part of last year. And it immediately clicked. I can't even explain why it was effective. It wasn't even honestly that much content. But what it was, it was just enough to change my whole mindset about how to approach Twitter. And I more than doubled my Twitter audience that year. I'm not even that good at it. I don't even put enough time into it, but it helped a bunch. I connected to a whole bunch of new people and I realized that I had started to kind of figure that out in a way that I hadn't before. Then when he came along with the small bets course, I was already primed to say like, Oh, I really like how this guy thinks. And I want to do the kind of things that he's doing. I like doing development. He's doing less of that. He's doing more content products but I like his sort of philosophy about being a solopreneur and wanting to work on his own and maybe not go back to the corporate world and that sort of thing. So I think maybe in the fall, he had a sale on the small bets and it's like a cohort course. So I knew I didn't have to take it immediately. It was just like, you can buy it now. So I grabbed it on sale. Maybe it was at Thanksgiving or something. And then, yeah, the two of us ended up taking it.
1: Yeah. You had mentioned it to me and... I guess I had followed Daniel or something, but I really just resonated with the Small Bets title and being an indie person, a solopreneur, that really just resonated with me. And so when you said you were doing it, I'm like, I'm in. I'm going to invite myself and <laughs> join the cohort and that, get involved. That was
0: actually great. I think that was one of the big benefits. If I hadn't done it with a friend, there's a lot of those extra conversations that wouldn't have happened necessarily. Or I knew I would have a chance to to kind of decompress or debrief with you afterward.
1: I was actually going to say that as well. If you have an opportunity to take it with a buddy, a friend, a business partner, then I think that probably holds true for any course. If you do it together then you, you learn together.
0: Yeah. Honestly, I never would have done that. And I end up doing so many things by myself. You know, I feel like I'm self-taught in a lot of different areas. So I tend just to think about, oh, I'm going to learn this thing on my own and that sort of thing. But yeah, having somebody else to talk to about the material was really helpful.
1: Yeah. So in, another thing, it being a cohort is pretty cool. I think it's a live course taught by Daniel. So it was really interesting to, to sit in that call and listen to him speak, be able to ask questions and also it just kind of forced me to sit down and do it because if it was something that was just recorded and you watch it at your own speed, then I probably would have put it off and yep. just maybe not really taken full advantage of it. I was definitely
0: making mental notes about that because I've definitely bought other video courses that I knew I could get to anytime. And so you buy it and then it kind of sits on the shelf or I have a, like a folder that I'll go back to and either like what book did I buy last year that I'll re- pick up and start reading now. but knowing that. We could join a cohort and then we were going to go through the six sessions and they were scheduled. I had to like set aside those two weeks. And it was actually, those two weeks were stressful life wise because it was like, it was a little tight. All the regular work plus the investment of time into the course, but it was really good. And I think it was like a forcing function that, that helped get that focus.
1: Yeah. So let's get into some of the principles, I guess. I think from my point of view, I would say he gets into it by introducing the concept of these two worlds: the predictable world and the stochastic world. I don't know about you, but I had to look up stochastic. Yeah, yeah what that yeah. means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, that's like unpredictable or random. Yeah, that's exactly. like a, that's kind of a new word for me.
1: A fancy word for randomness, unpredictable. Mm. And he presents the predictable world as one where. If you decide to do something and you work really hard at it and you take the proper steps, then you can most likely achieve it. Like a career, maybe as a school teacher, is not an easy one, but if you go to school and you put yourself through the training and you do the work, you study hard, then you can probably very likely get a job doing that. Right. We're kind of raised up to work on that route, school, if you work hard, study, do your homework, then you're probably going to get a good grade on the test. It's not always
0: true, but it's likely true. It's mostly predictable. Yeah. You know what the work is that's required and you know what it takes to get an A. And as long as you kind of follow the steps within reason, you're going to do well or you'll be able to achieve what you set out for.
1: Right. And that is so true with so many of the things that we do in the world, Mm -hmm. whether it's Career or a hobby or just your daily chores, and the problem is that we try to apply that same concept to business. Yeah, and business is not near as predictable, especially some businesses. You maybe say there's a scale, right? Freelancing is a little less predictable than a job, but it's Mm -hmm. more predictable than creating a product, right? Right. But you see, time and time again, with people will apply these predictable mindsets to Mm -hmm. businesses. If I just keep working hard enough, then this product will succeed. And that's not the truth, unfortunately. I mean, I've definitely Um,
0: done that. I've definitely put a ton of time into, oh, you just keep digging, just keep building. Eventually you're going to hit something.
1: If you look at things from a high level, you see that most things fail in this genre. Most startups fail. You see founders with... Lots and lots of failures before successes. So, why would we even like go this route? Why wouldn't we just go the predictable route? And I think the reason is that this route has the most upside potential, right? And I think that's what he laid out. It has the most upside potential. And there's also this concept of the Matthew principle where these small wins lead to bigger wins. Mm-hmm. And so, if you get a win in this unpredictable, then it can lead to additional wins afterwards. Like you get better at it.
0: Yeah. I think there's also an aspect that was interesting. I kind of got stuck for a second when you asked like, why would you pick On the that stochastic? Yeah. I think there's also an aspect, at least for some kinds of people where the predictable world or the professional predictable world isn't satisfying.
1: It doesn't resonate it's, with their personality. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm like a nine to five.
0: Yeah. Like I don't think of myself as someone that's just trying to win at the poker table or something. I just, I would rather not work a factory job or something that has a lot of predictability where you clock in, do a set things and clock out. And that's an exaggeration. Obviously, most people aren't doing, especially in software, aren't doing that style of work. But I want to be more toward that unpredictable end because while it's scary, it's also more exciting.
1: So from that random, unpredictable world brings about another concept of randomness itself, and i really just dug into this and enjoyed like exploring it i think you and i both are kind of on the same trajectory with within this past year or two we -hmm. decided that we wanted to expand our network get out there a little bit more meet more people build relationships and that's totally in that random world because you never know how relationships will come about but Mm -hmm. You got to get out there in the game to actually like get in the way of those relationships and to make them happen. Yeah.
0: They don't just come to you. I remember there's this point early on in my career where you're trying to figure out your first real job. And it sort of dawned on me that there was a way to do my work that wasn't just doing what was asked of me, but like sort of taking on more. I'm not always good at that, but I think that's what I want to do more and more of is my default might be just to, if I'm freelancing contracting, just to keep doing that. But what might be the thing that no one asked me to do that would be beneficial for me, for my business or for myself professionally, that I might be able to say, I'm going to pick myself to do this thing. And maybe other people don't have this issue, but for me, I'm pretty good still at taking orders and like having a boss or a client that I'm trying to, you know, I built that mentality in school or Figure out what the teacher wants, and you know, figure out you know what it is they're asking for, and then deliver it, and then you do well, right? And I turn yeah, that we're, into we're my first job, yeah, yeah. And I was really good at that. And so the hard part for me is like letting go of that, instead of stopping at we'll have delivered the thing that the client needs. What might the client not even be asking for? What might the world need that that doesn't exist right now? What am I excited about making that I can? kind of flip around, flip roles, and suddenly talk to myself as if I'm the boss of me and say, hey, Jeremy, I think you should be doing this, delivering this new thing or making this new thing happen. Anyway, I don't know if that... (laughs) Maybe it's just me, but I need that kind of trick for myself because I grew up that way, trying to deliver something for an authority figure.
1: Back to the randomness, one of the other things I liked about Daniel's course is that he was very open with all the stuff that he does. He just pulls up a browser and shows you his Gumroad account. He shows you his all his revenue streams and he's just so open about it. And it's the kind um, of thing you feel bad. I would never want to
0: ask someone to do that, but it was so helpful. Like I like felt kind of guilty, like looking over his shoulder. You know, I just, I was left out. Oh, don't you, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> but it was so helpful because you're like, oh, okay, these are real numbers. This is what it really looks like. Oh, that's what his Twitter feed looks like. That's really helpful. You just kind of get more into the mentality of where someone you know
1: ahead of you is and what it looks like for them. I liked he showed some examples of randomness, like with his tweets, he would show the majority of his tweets would have like X number of views and X number of new followers. But then all of a sudden randomness would pop up and he would just have this huge spike and he would pick up like thousands of followers instead of just a few hundred so that was pretty cool and like he brought up the hacker news example of tony and his last name but he's a uh, indie maker and he had his product listed on hacker news for i don't know dozens and dozens of times and then just one time randomly it like exploded on the front page or whatever I don't know what Hacker News does. Same URL that
0: he submitted over and Mm -hmm. over again. It finally, yeah, finally made it to the top. And that actually
1: like gave me some comfort in the sense Mm. that like if you're in the predictable mind, you're like, oh, I failed. I listed something on Hacker News or I "I made this tweet and it didn't go viral. But if you attribute some randomness to that factor, then it sort of takes some of the pressure off. You're like, eh, Mm -hmm. it didn't work this time, or it just didn't get picked up this time.
0: Yeah. I really liked that he said. Don't overlearn a lesson like on a failure. Basically, like if you tried something like, oh, I submitted my product to Hacker News and I didn't make it to the homepage or I didn't get a ton of traffic from that. Therefore, that doesn't work. Submitting to Hacker News doesn't work. That's learning exactly. the wrong lesson. And that was really helpful because it's like this, it's this random combination of multiple factors that leads to these surprise events. And so you don't want to have the wrong takeaway from something like that and just never try that again.
1: Yeah. I, lo- I love I've that. Which I've done in the past. I've definitely done that in the past. Like yeah, i never doing this because, again. Because something doesn't work once that it's never going to work again. Yeah. And that's not yeah. the truth. Right. And actually leads me to, I say this quote that I really liked that he shared. Mm-hmm. He said, no man ever steps in the same river twice for it's mm-hmm. not the same river and he's not the same man. And that goes along to that same concept that you try something once and it may not have worked. Or even the flip side, it may have worked. It doesn't mean it's going to work again.
0: Yeah, that's definitely helpful.
1: So I guess if you know
0: that, then what do you do differently?
1: I think that leads us to the whole concept, right? Small bets, small wins. Things are random and not exactly repeatable. Then how do you take advantage of that? Or how do you mm-hmm. win? And as a finance major, this really like resonated with me a lot. And I think the principle is really diversification. In the finance world. And two examples really made a lot of sense to me that he shared were the first one was a book publisher. If a book publisher just bet everything on one book succeeding, they would fail. But instead, they sort of organize the chaos by investing in multiple books. They don't know what's going to work and what's not going to work. So they give the advances, they connect with the authors, and they publish many books. And then some of them win, some of them do mediocre, and then some of them do nothing. The other one that's probably close to everybody listening is venture capital. If venture capital only went out and invested in five different companies, then they're more than likely going to fail, but they have to have a whole portfolio of companies that they're investing in for a few of them to win. So if you apply that same concept to the individual, then that's where the small bets idea comes in that you need to focus on creating some small wins and, having multiples of them instead of, you know, just betting everything on one startup idea or one project. Yeah, I think
0: that's great. And being able to see that big picture of how these bigger corporations or people with a lot of money manage that, all that unpredictability, it makes sense, like how you could translate that down to just little old me with my ideas. Obviously, it's a totally different scale, but you take that same kind of approach. Which means you have to be good at evaluating. It's not like you give up on evaluation of ideas and concepts. You don't want to just throw money at anything that comes your way. It's money or time, right? But you also don't want to go all in, even on the thing that you're so sure is going to be a success. And maybe that's the thing, one of the biggest takeaways for me, because I've done that. I've gone all in, at least in my side project energy. I might always make sure that I've got enough billable hours in, but then on the side nights and weekends working on other things and exhaust myself trying to build this other thing that I'm so sure is going to work, but then go so far. And then finally, when it fails, I look back and you know I wasted hundreds of hours, which could have translated into $1,000 if I'd been doing consulting instead, or I've run out of energy or I've sort of texted my family or friends like for not being around during a period where I was totally invested in a thing. And so I get like over leveraged, or like I've gone over the edge on something, or like lost all my margin to this thing, and then I have to claw back to be, you know, and just I guess come back and say, well, I learned that lesson. <laughs> but then it's like, what was the lesson that I learned? So I love this idea that how does he say it? Like for the small bets, what is small? Small is any investment that you make where you aren't afraid of. It's not uh, going to bankrupt you, you. Yeah, it's not going to bankrupt you either financially or also, and I really appreciated this, or like emotionally, you won't be so devastated by this thing that you put all your heart into that failed, you know, that you kind of lick your wounds for three years before you try something else. And that's real. I mean, that's definitely real. I've definitely had that where, you know, when as far into something, put all my heart into something, when it failed, I just, I was so devastated. It took me a couple of years to even want to think about doing another thing again. And I don't want to have big gaps like that because you only have so many swings at bat and you have only so many years of your life. I don't want to go so far into something. And then when it fails, like you need to take years to recover from the frustration or disappointment of it.
1: Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest differences between the book publisher and the corporations versus the individual is that they really have an unlimited budget, right? right? Like they can just continue to scale their capacity by investing in more products. But as individuals, we have limited time and we have limited budgets, obviously. So, you know, we don't have time to pour two years into a project and put everything else on hold. And so that's why it needs to be small. It needs to be something that's manageable. And obviously we got to give it like due diligence To be able to succeed, but you don't always have to throw everything into it all at once. You know, you can start small, test things out and iterate and still diversify and keep your other revenues coming in through consulting or your day job or whatever that is so that you can stay afloat and stay in business. And actually, that's one of the days I think he's talking about just staying alive. Staying in business, keeping afloat, keep trying the small bets, and some of those are going to eventually win. Yeah.
0: Now that you've been through small bets, is there a way that you might approach projects differently in the future? Like, do you have any examples of how you might have thought of things in the past and now, you know, you, you see it differently?
1: Yeah. I think one of the biggest things is the idea that these are cattle, not pets. Like, you treat your projects like cattle and try not to get too personally invested in it. Like you said mm-hmm. that you had a really tough time recovering from the failure. It's yeah. cause you thought that you failed. And yeah. even though the project failed, that doesn't mean that you failed at it because you could have executed it flawlessly and mm-hmm. it just not been the right time or the right place or been around the right people. And the, that's the, the pets way. thing really that, that resonates
0: too, because like part of it is a grief. When yeah. a project that you put your heart into fails, there is a grief, especially if it's a long-term project of you invested a lot, you cared about this thing. And when it fails, you've lost something, a thing that may have been a part of your identity or something that you cared so deeply about what impact that thing might have had in the world, that sort of thing. Yeah,
1: and you were obviously so sure that it was going to work that you put that much time into it. So mm-hmm. when it doesn't work out, what did I do wrong?
0: Yeah, it can have a deep, effect on you personally, emotionally. So treating it more like cattle That in some ways I love that because it's like, then you're not as passionate about the thing that you're doing, but I suspect he's right. <laughs> I suspect that is probably a better way to approach my project.
1: Yeah. And I think it's still okay to be passionate about it and to put your heart and soul into it. But you also just have to realize that, you know, I'm throwing this against the wall. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's going to stick. Sometimes it's going to fall. Yeah. And, it's one of many. This is not my only thing. Exactly. I'm here for the long term. So yeah, I think we probably covered a big picture. Are there any other like tidbits that you kind of hung up on that you wanted to share? You know, one thing that I appreciated
0: was people love to dog social media for being a waste of time or having sort of no benefit really to people's lives. It's sort of like mindless entertainment or something like that. I've always oh. liked There was something there that I couldn't quite put my finger on. And I think he kind of nailed it. And that was this idea that everyone needs a place where they're getting inspiration. He calls it his inspiration generator. Yep. And for him, for Daniel, it's Twitter. And it's exposing himself to a broad range of ideas. It's not very deep. It's wide and sort of shallow. But it gives you a large number of ideas. So you're exposed to a large number of concepts. Pretty quickly. So you're scrolling through this stream and you're sort of inspired by a lot of different thoughts. And maybe there is a high signal to noise ratio. Maybe there's a lot of noise in that. But when you hit something that sparks you, you come up with ideas that you wouldn't have had otherwise, that you weren't just going to sit in a dark room by yourself and contemplate your way into realizing, oh, this is a good idea for a business or this would be a fun project or, oh, here's how I connected this to that. Like you need to be exposed to other people's stuff. And where do you do that? Well, I mean, maybe you can go to a coffee shop and try to live people's conversations. Like certainly go to conference and that's great, but you can't do that all the time. So we'll go. And so the finding the places where that happens is really good.
1: Yeah, I heard one time, I think it was Warren Buffett say that how does he stay in the loop on things? Like how does he come up Mm -hmm. with investment ideas? And he says, just read the newspapers. And that Mm -hmm. was probably his Twitter of the time is he didn't spend overwhelming amount of time in it, but he kept up with things and he got a gauge on what the business world was doing. And you can do that on Twitter and you can go to conferences, you can be involved in discords. But yeah, there's lots of different ways to expose yourself. But the point is expose yourself to these things and be open to taking in those ideas. And oh, and the biggest thing, too, is that if you don't have spare time, you can't take advantage of any ideas, Right. Yeah. So that was another point that I really liked that you sort of need to leave a little open space in your schedule to explore an idea or a bet and say, see, maybe I'll try this and it'll work. But if you're so busy, which I tend to do myself, I'll fill my schedule full of projects and consulting gigs, then it's very hard to pounce on something when it comes up.
0: Yeah. I tend to overbook myself either thinking, okay, I know I can win consulting work, fill my schedule. But then like, if I want to take on a surprise project, then like your capacity has gone or you have to dip into nights and weekends. And I don't know, you, but you know, with wife and kids, it's just that we're in stage yeah, of getting life. Too it's old for really that.
1: difficult to do that. Yeah. It's just <laughs> really hard to do that. No, no energy. Yeah. No, that too, for sure. And I don't want to. I want to have some sort of balance and Mm -hmm. I want to spend time with my family and I want to get sleep and I don't want to spend 16 hours a day working. Yeah. I think the way this is kind
0: of changing my perspective from here, like the things I want to try next are in the past, I would get an idea for like a product or something that I want to build and I would go off, basically go into a hole and build a thing and then bring it back out when it's done and try to show the world, right? So I'm going to not do that. I'm going to sort of push back against that. That's sort of my default. I like building software. So that's my default, just like build things that I want, want mm-hmm. in the world. So I need to make sure that I'm never filling my work life so much that I can't talk about what I'm doing. So having availability to share the things that I am doing, whatever it is, and never like letting that Sort of always leaving a portion of my schedule available to do that. And right now that's Twitter and it's my monthly newsletter. There are probably other ways that I should maybe think about doing that, but at least leaving some there so that I'm connecting to other people and sharing where I'm at and what I'm doing and not going away and trying to come back later. Hey, remember me? Here's this thing I made. I've been gone for three years. <laughs> and sort of yep. disconnected from the community that maybe you want to offer your product to or to the community you at least want to show your work to. And then the other thing is picking projects that I can turn around really quickly. Not that I'll never do anything that's really big, depending on my bank account and my sort of my own energy level at any given time, I should probably be scoping smaller things. So it makes me want to pick, you know, if it's a software product idea, that it's got to be something that's, it can't be a six month project. It can't be six months of nights and weekends to emerge later and hope that worked. Yep. So what can I do if I took a pause on my client work and just went all in for a week? What could I build in that amount of time? That's more the scale I could live with. Or other things would be like, he's big on like the idea of bringing entire product to market quickly, not necessarily just landing pages some people use that advice of, well, if to test the market, build the landing page and see if you get people that sign Yeah. And they'll give the it like reminder. a week and
1: then they'll like, oh, nobody bought it. So i yeah. take it down. Right. Yeah. And I guess he kind of pushed back on some of
0: that, if I remember correctly, where he said, no, just like bring the whole thing to market because you want to exercise the entire process of creating and bringing it to marketing. And like, you don't actually know until you get the sale, did yep. it work? So I like that idea, but Even there, like I'm thinking about productized services that I might offer that I could produce quickly and actually bring to market completely with a sale and test that. So that might mean not spending, again, like six months building a video course and hope that it resonates or that people buy it when it comes out. But instead, maybe I sell a live session, some kind of live training. And once I sell a certain number of tickets, then I do the thing. And then I'm actually bringing the thing to market, which means like people are paying for it and then I'm delivering it. And that would be a smaller window of time and a smaller investment on my end to see, did people want that thing that I thought they might? And then getting the feedback to, oh, okay. They actually wanted this instead, or this would have been better. And this is how I can iterate on that for the next time. And then you sort of land and expand. Like you get in there, you make some sales, you actually bring something to market and then either improve it or expand it to make it better. So I think that I need to take probably that kind of approach in the future instead of the, let me go make what I think of as the perfect thing. Let me bring it back and see if I was right. If you have that long interval, there are only so many times I can do that in a year or in my life. And I'm just not that good at it yet. I thought I was, but I've had enough failures to realize either they weren't or I didn't have enough tries because of just randomness. Like that whole uh, submitting to Hacker News thing, you need to have enough tries at bat. You need to have enough bets that you're throwing down to have something that gives you a return.
1: Yeah. So I think that probably wraps up our feedback and our experience with the small bets course. I really highly recommend it if you're into. Solopreneurship, or it, this could even work for businesses because small is relative to the person that's doing yeah. it, right? So, I mean, if you've had an exit and you have $10 million sitting in the bank account, then a small bet to you might be a couple million dollars on a project. So, that is relative. Also, I like the last kind of part of the session where he talks about the reasons to start a business and one of his things that he stands on is the only reason to start a business is to improve your life. And because you can mold a business around what you want, whether that's mm-hmm. high income, flexibility, and freedom to work, or just gratification in creating what you're doing. So there's lots of reasons, but you can do it to improve your life the way you want to. Yeah. I love that. So you can
0: find the Small bets course at smallbets.co. And you'll go through a cohort, but then you're in also in a Discord community. If you sign up and do it, we'd love to talk to you about your experience, see how it's changed your thinking. Yeah, I'm very interested to talk to other people, especially Indie Rails folks who go through this and see how, that, how it changes their approach to their work.
1: Yeah, I meant to mention that too. Yeah, it's only like a few hundred bucks and you get into his Discord community, which includes lots of other courses that mm-hmm. you get as well. So you're really not just buying the small bets course you're kind of buying the small bets community and daniel's really fun to to listen to and learn from so (laughs) yeah definitely you'll enjoy that all right that's a wrap thanks everybody